0: The Guardian.
1: The Guardian has partnered with Audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one month, no commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to Guardian.co.uk slash Audible for further details. I'm John Plunkett, and coming up on this week's Media Talk. Seconds away, round 364, in the heavyweight battle between the BBC and News Corporation. We look at the ongoing fallout from the Panorama investigation into alleged computer hacking. Plus, Dick is gone, as the Met PR chief who hired former News the World editor Neil Wallace resigns. We also run the rule over ITV's results, staring at a long list of figures you don't have to. And it's a bumper week for awards as the Broadcasting Press Guild gongs are handed out and the nominations for the Sony Radio Academy Awards are announced. We bring you all you need to know from both. Oh, and who really won the ratings war between Britain's Got Talent and The Voice? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Joining me this week are The Guardian's Head of Media and Tech, Dan Saber, and later TV editor Vicky Frost. Dan, let's start with the escalating war of words between the BBC and News Corporation over this week's Panorama into alleged computer hacking to undermine BSkyB's short-lived digital TV rival on, later, ITV Digital. First up, for anyone who didn't see it, what, what were the main allegations and was anything new there?
2: So Panorama uh, Panorama on Monday night, long-awaited Panorama, you know, uh, comes out with this sort of investigation. Things happened sort of 10, 12 years ago. Uh, 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 what, they've, what, what they're talking about is what on the face of it was sort of ground that had been touched on 10 years ago, uh, namely that a unit, uh, uh, part of News Corporation, NDS, its pay TV encryption division, uh, 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 was which it provides the software for Sky Smart Cards, was also allegedly involved in facilitating a hack of its rival, then rival on digital ITV Digital, as you said, it, uh, facilitating a hack of its pay TV software and getting that distributed on the internet via a site called Thoic, the house of ill compute. Now, uh, what made Panorama different after all this time, because it's sort of these sort of things happened like in 99, 2000, 2001 or so, because... As 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 listeners with long memories will remember, ITV Digital in the end went bust, and the only thing that was left is a bunch of cloth monkeys that went out to a few customers, uh, or shall I say, monkeys. Uh, uh, and so, uh, although all that happened a long time ago, Panorama tracked down a chap called Lee Gibling. Uh, who had sort of gone pretty much into hiding abroad, and Gibbling ran this website, the House of Ill Compute, from a from a house down in Cornwall. That website was always part was part funded by NDS. Uh, we knew that NDS said it was because it wanted to sort of help clamp down, the, stop the fight against piracy. That's why I had to keep an eye on where the hackers were hanging out. But what uh, what Gibbling says, or what Gibbling alleges is that he was really a front organisation for NDS that they passed him these on digital codes with, so that he could keep distributing them, flogging it until it broke one of the words he used, it was the phrase he used in the programme, uh, uh, that is on, until on digital broke and that when it got rumbled because it kind of came out in the hacker community um, one of NDS's security people a, a former copper, turned up with a sledgehammer to smash up his hard drive physically he went abroad and he was receiving a retainer from NDS until Two thousand eight, uh, uh, presumably to remain discreet. Anyway, Panorama tracked down; he's their star winners. so that's the sort of essence of the claim. And ITV denied by NDS. I better say that.
1: And ITV Digital um, had plenty of problems, uh, not least their huge uh, money deal with the Football League. But I mean, piracy didn't help, and it was a widespread problem for them at the time.
2: Yeah, there. Uh, ITV Digital died at about one point three million customers when it went, but there are estimates maybe of hundred thousand pirate cards. So. Piracy
1: was certainly an issue. Not solely responsible, but uh, one of the issues. I think that's right. Um, And how did News Corporation, and specifically Rupert Murdoch reacted, it didn't hold back?
2: Well, it took them a wee while. It took them about sort of 24, 36 hours. But yeah, they they became pretty punchy. Uh, I think they thought, well, they didn't know exactly what was in the program. And I don't think they knew that Panorama had this guy, Lee Giblin, as its kind of star interviewee. Uh, uh, what they did do is, I think they worked on the basis that was, you know, some of this stuff had been heard in courts or in, in, in been aired in in civil claims, not not brought to the finishing line uh, down the years. So they sort of had some idea what they were fighting against. But but after about thirty six hours, they went very big on the on, on the attack against Panorama with News court number two, Chase Carey accusing Panorama of presenting manipulated emails. Uh, uh, there was a huge cache of emails belonging to the former head of security at NDS, next copper uh, called Ray Adams. And and this email cache has sort of was used partly in, in the Panorama program. So Chase Carey said that Panorama manipulated the emails. And the longtime chief executive of NDS, a uh, chap called Abe Pellet, was also uh, uh, put a bit more detail in a very aggressive three-page letter uh, explaining how these emails have been manipulated, and of course to cap it all off, uh, along came Rupert Murdoch, uh, generally sort of attacking toffs and right wingers, and, and you know, and people who wanted to keep their sort of age-old monopolies on on on, on you know on Twitter. And, and who is
1: this right-wing toff? Is it is it Lord Patton, as some people assumed, or? Uh... Just, we, we just, re- just railing generally.
2: We just don't know. It could be Lord Patton, I guess. I mean, I wouldn't bet on that. But then, of course, you know, Murdoch and Patton have had form. Uh, obviously, there was a well known bust up about the former Hong Kong governor's memoirs back in the late 90s. So, look, we'll see about that. But, but News Corp absolutely ratcheting up this sort of uh, attack on Pan- on Panorama and, and and to a degree the BBC. What's interesting, though, is the BBC had some quite g- sort of good answers to this charge of email manipulation population saying that the the emails were not being used for the purpose that NDS slash News Corp said they were. Uh, and and NDS didn't attack um, Abbe Pellet or Chase Carey or Rupert Murdoch. None of them attacked Lee Gibling's testimony personally. So I'd say for the moment, a panorama programme still very much stands, and of course it may always stand. Uh, and I think it's now really the balls in News Corp's courts see whether they really want to sort of ratchet up the temperature against the BBC or maybe they want to pursue this as a sort of, you know, a serious but legal dispute at a lower level with panorama.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you what happens next? Uh, you know, what happens? And the allegations are out there. Both sides have sort of fired a salvo at each other. Will they. F- uh- Will they feed into Ofcom's review of B Sky B, which is carrying on at the moment?
2: The, the six, the, the six million or even six billion dollar question is, is 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 exactly that, which is that you know Ofcom are looking at whether Sky meets the you know, it's, the fit and proper test to be a broadcaster. The particular issues there are whether James Murdoch's a fit and proper director in the context of all this phone hacking stuff, and and whether NewsCorp is a fit and proper shareholder. Ofcom sees News Corp as effectively the controlling shareholder, although its stake in Sky is thirty nine percent. So that's really Really the sort of crucial point I mean I, Ofcom they watch the program and they won't say whether they're t- how far they're taking it into account if at all I think it is important in that context but who knows whether it's decisive I think otherwise it's not a story with a sort of sort of long running media life because it's technical. It happened a while ago. There are no celebrities who <laughs> involved. Uh, no, no. so monkey doesn't count. No monkey doesn't count. So it really depends. I think if News if News Corp want to keep it in the papers, then they'd have to get really punchy against the BBC, uh, uh, and that may not be the best thing to do. Well, onto phone hacking now,
1: and the Metropolitan Police's PR chief Dick Fedorcio, a surname I occasionally struggle with, resigned this week. Um, Dan, this was all to do with the Met Police's relationship with News International, and specifically. Um, the relationship with former News of the World editor Neil Wallace?
2: Yeah, no great surprise I mean this is the same issue that obviously claimed led to the resignations of Sir Paul Stevenson and John Yates at the Met last summer uh, and I think you know, this is really all about the fact that the Met for personally actually uh, signed up Neil Wallace, former deputy editor of the News of the World to act as his, as his deputy for a time in Uh, Two nine, two ten, and um, obviously Wallace is one of the people arrested in the in in, in the phone hacking, uh, uh, in the phone hacking investigation. So I mean, I think Fyodorov had not been sort of uh, had been uh, away from his desk for some time, so it's no great surprise.
1: And as you mentioned, he was the third senior police figure to to quit. Tabloid behaviour has come under the closest of scrutiny. Scrutiny at Leveson has the actions are, or non-actions of the police. Um, can we expect the politicians to come under the same forensic scrutiny?
2: And when's that going to happen? Ah, uh, uh, Leveson I think is a little bit of a sort of um, uh, not a hiatus, but a bit of a sort of quiet point. There are some sort of you know they're still in this module two relationships between the press and police, but frankly they've run out of sort of high profile or interesting people to ask any questions to, and it feels like they're marking time. Uh, we don't know exactly what the future timetable is, but in broad terms we're expecting things to pick up from late April into May, particularly into Module 3. Uh, that'll be looking at the relationship between press and politicians. And although we don't know for sure who's going to come and give evidence, I'd be very surprised if David Cameron is not there, and Tony Blair is not there, and Gordon Brown is not there, and, and every serious politician you've heard of, uh, as well as folks like Alistair Campbell, and, and some media owners and some political journalists. And I think it's going to shoot up the news agenda all over again and be very, very political.
1: Well, we look forward to that. In a week in which Just a Minute returned to BBC Two in a not entirely successful small screen adaptation, maybe we'll talk about that later. Dan, your challenge, please, is to talk without hesitation or repetition about the size of Adam Crozier's
2: pay packet. Ah uh, well, Adam Crozier has, uh, it looks like he got three million pounds one way or the other from running ITV last year. About one and a half million in cash and pension contributions—you know—stuff he can take away and spend. Uh, uh, and in addition, uh, just about the same amount. Again, ever so slightly more in you know, these deferred shares, uh, all these various sort of share bonuses that's supposed to, you know, tough, demanding performance targets and mature in two or three years. Uh, he'll probably get some, if not all, of that. And he was getting some bonuses. Uh, in any event from previous years uh, uh, were coming to him in the in, in the current year. So you know, £3 million is not a bad sort of top-end figure. Uh, uh, it's she's quite a lot of money. Is, think, is, uh,
1: he, is he worth it like L'Oreal, who occasionally advertises on his channel? Well,
2: channels? ITV is not the biggest, you know, it's not BP or Glaxo or something, you know, or Barclays Bank. It's not the biggest FTSE uh, uh, company in the world. It's not always in the FTSE 100, Indeed. Uh, And so, uh, I mean, there's quite a lot of money in that respect. It's also quite interesting because obviously the BBC DG process is getting going and they're talking about pay, we think, in the high 300,000s. So you're talking about a a difference of perhaps as much as 10 times uh, in in pay. And obviously the BBC, yes, is funded by the licence fee pay, so you'd expect the pay to be lower. But the BBC is a much more complex broadcaster than ITV and you sort of think to yourself, you know, is the ITV chief executive overpaid, you know, relative uh, to, to, to the peer group? And you know, the other point about ITV is, is and I'm not saying, you know, Crozier's done an all right job, Is things are stabilised, the debt's down, the results are tolerable, but... You know, there's no sign of some sort of great strategic breakthrough. ITV remains, if you're a shareholder from this point of view, remains rather at the mercy of the sort of state of the advertising market and hence the wider economy. It's, you know, what they call pro cyclical advertising, goes, you know, does better in the boom times than the wider economy, but worse in the times Worse in the downtimes. So you're kind of sitting there, the share price, you're just sort of sitting on the bridge, and your share price is a kind of function of sort of wherever the sort of, you know, UK PLC, the UK economy is. So, I mean, if they'd done a sort of bunch of transformational deals and ITV was less dependent on, you know, uh, uh, ITV1 advertising, you'd think, oh, okay, that's, you know, smart leadership and that's pretty good and worth paying paying for. There's so been is
1: speculation it, about new new revenue streams. None of them have really come on board yet in terms of maybe a pay TV channel or uh, micropayments. Or- uh,
2: and John, how long have we been talking about this? I mean, we were just talking about the failure of ITV Digital a few moments ago, you know, owned in those days by Carlton and Granada, you know, a pay TV plan that went wrong. I mean, and down the years we hear a bit of this and a bit of that I mean at one point they were going to have sort of Rovers Return style branded pubs or so one of its then directors told me anyway, <laughs> that clearly hasn't happened so look, I think is in better shape, it, as I say I've talked about the debt it's better on screen too, Peter Finchham's certainly done a decent job and whatever you may think of Titanic at the drama engine is back, uh, uh, Downton's shown that and and so it's in good shape it's just £3 million a year, really? Well, nice work if you can get it
1: Dan will be returning to the show later. Next up is Guardian TV editor Vicky Frost. Time for television now and a little bit of radio, and I'm joined by the Guardian's TV editor, Vicky Frost. Hello. Vicky, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Very nice to see you. We're going to start off with some gongs, uh, which is uh, the BPG Awards, the Broadcasting Press Guild Awards, which were handed out on Friday,
0: and it was a triumph for bbc Two sitcom Rev. I'm so glad to see this. I'm so glad. Rev is an absolute gem and it's been allowed to grow on BBC Two. It doesn't try too hard. It's quite, well, it's gentle in an absolutely lovely way. Gentle is never used in a, in sort of a nice way about TV programs, but actually it should be about Rev. It's clever. It's warm. It's funny. It's, I'm absolutely thrilled it's won so much.
1: Uh, It got four awards, which is uh, rare but not entirely unprecedented. I think BBC Two's um, Our Friends in the North uh, picked up a quartet a a a while ago. Um, And there were other gongs for um, ITV1's Appropriate Adult.
0: Yeah, I imagine Appropriate Adult is going to take a lot of awards, actually, across the whole sort of season of this. Um, I'd be very surprised if Dominic West wasn't picking up Best Actor at basically everything. Um, he, he's already won an RTS award um, and Emily Watson actually won the Actress opposite him. So they both took awards for it um, at RTS. Um, really deserved winners. Um yeah, you know, it's sort of like it's kind of like one of those nice awards where you think, yes, those are the correct things to win.
1: And it was a change. You mentioned the RTS there, but Rev, of course, was nominated for three three awards at the RTS. Didn't become any. So uh, this is um, a, a happy happy ending to that tale. For uh, who is it? Made at the production company? I think it's uh, Big Talk.
0: It is Big Talk. Yeah, it is. Yes, it, it does feel like it's slightly putting right that RTS uh, situation where it just didn't. win. It was nominated and didn't win anything. Um, and I'm I'm just really pleased to see it win. And Olivia Coleman particularly just such a brilliant actress and you know I love her in 2012 I love her in Red but equally she was brilliant in Exile you know she has such adaptability she's fantastic.
1: Did you think it was a bit weird you won Best Breakthrough because you know um, uh, she's been a a presence on my uh, TV screen for a while now.
0: Yeah it it is slightly strange I think but equally she did have a year where I think her career did move up an enormous step so uh, maybe that's Maybe it's sort of breakthrough in a slightly different way. Rather than a young actor sort of suddenly becoming famous, it's kind of like somebody whose career has been great becoming stellar.
1: Well, other awards this week, uh, there were nominations. In fact, were the for the Sony Radio Academy Awards, which were also announced on uh, Friday, about the same time as they were handing out the uh, the BPG prizes, and it was good news for Six Music, which picked up seven nominations this year, which is more than Radio One.
0: Well, yeah, well, yes. I mean, which would you rather listen to? Um, yes, it's quite, it's quite jolly. I think that six music has kind of gone from this situation where it was in danger to putting on an awful lot of listeners and now being nominated for lots of awards. And um, I mean, BBC One. I'm slightly not in BBC One's age group anymore. Radio uh, One. Sad to say. Yeah, sorry, Radio sorry, One. You're so out of it. You don't know what it's <laughs> called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not really Radio 1's target audience anymore.
1: After a brief exit for purely editorial reasons, we're rejoined by Mr Dan Saber. Dan, you're Radio 1 man. We were just saying that uh, Six Music got seven nominations for this year's Sonos against Radio One Six, so bragging rights go to the upstart.
2: I'm a Radio 1 man for sure. Nothing will make me listen to Radio 2, and yes, I'm not in the core demographic, but I just, I just like listening to new music, and I, so uh, I, I'm, I'm a great fan.
1: Among the six music nominations, there were two for Adam and Joe. So, so we we'll, uh, add to the uh, the clamour for the, uh, the Saturday morning show to come back, Vicky.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I'd love it to come back. That would be the best thing ever, wouldn't it? It's an absolute joy. They're a joy on radio. And uh, I think they are sort of six music to their bones. Um, so,
1: yeah. And uh, let me t- take you through a few other nominations. Fern Cotton. Daniel, appreciate this. Fern Cotton got her first, uh, first nomination for Best Music Programme uh, up against Michael Bublé.
2: Well, well, oh. a, that's an interesting question <laughs> Fern Cotton really does divide people doesn't she but, but she certainly you know resonates I think with the Radio 1 audience particularly the, sort of the young and male part of it so you know that's what she you know, what's wrong I, d- with I that? don't
0: think it's just the young and male part of it, I think Fern Cotton takes a lot of stick because she's a woman and I think if she, if she, was, a, if she was a guy she wouldn't get nearly as much stick as she, she does so while she irritates me wildly I do think um, she has to be defended a little
1: Elsewhere, uh, Breakfast Show, always keenly contested. We've got um, Heart in London, uh, Kiss, Chris Evans, Christian O'Connell, and Radio 5 Live. Uh, Now, but this is interesting. The oldest nominees in the awards' history are Beryl and Betty from BBC Radio Humberside, who are 86 and 90, respectively. So I think that they could single-handedly dance, sort out the BBC's issues with uh, with age and... um, and, and sex discrimination by, by winning that A,
2: a huge victory for tokenism, if that were to be the yeah. case. I, I haven't listened to Beryl and Betty's show. I'm sure it is a very good show, uh, but I hope they don't win because they are... Uh, women, or because they are, how old, uh, you know, because of their age. I hope they win because it's the best show. I'm
1: sure you're right. And Ronnie Wood's also nominated. I think he's marginally uh, marginally younger than Beryl or Betty.
0: <laughs> marginally. So a,
1: not too much in it. And just finally, on the Sonys, I should mention that two Guardian podcasts have been nominated in the Best Internet Program category. They are Days in the Life and also Science Weekly, Sound of the Space Shuttle, produced by none other than Media Talk producer Jason Phipps. So, congratulations to him. He is waving behind the glass as I speak. Well, that's enough, Sonys. Let's go to TV now. And, Dan, last week was all about Britain's Got Talent against
2: The Voice. Uh, and it gets a bit complicated now, but who, who really won the ratings award, do you think? Oh, easily The Voice. Uh, the BBC are absolutely delighted. They, they, they felt they had a bit of a PR strategy to try and go head-to-head with BGT, make some noise uh, to a degree, then pretend that they weren't making any noise and sort of pretending it wasn't a competition, uh, But the result of that was I think it drew a lot of attention. There's a lot of media about their show in the run-up. Uh, uh, and and as a result of which, they came out of it quite well because they brought a much bigger audience to The Voice. I think it was what we talked about, sort of 8 million average and 9 million peak. That sounds a bit high, actually. Um, but, but It's but,
1: in that ballpark, yeah. But,
2: so- but it was certainly, although it was lower than BGT, it wasn't much lower, and I think people are expecting a big gulf between The Voice and BGT. So um, I think the BBC have got their show away to good numbers. Now they've just got to keep it up.
0: Well, I think that's the big thing, though, isn't it? I mean, I think they got it away to big numbers, but whether they get those big numbers again this weekend will be the interesting thing to see. Because I just thought it was a bit dull, really. I can't imagine watching 80 minutes of that on a regular basis.
1: It lacked pizzazz compared to sort of the all singing, all dancing Britain's Got Talent. But maybe it's a sign that, you know, viewers uh, aren't necessarily impressed by, you know, arena sized shows and. Uh and you know judges with the, with their names in neon lights and enormous X's hanging above their heads. I, think, I don't know what show I'm thinking about there, but
2: I think BG. I think BGT is uh you know is also certainly showing its age. I mean it's 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 got that. I don't know if I see another dancing dog or or, or even another dance troupe or something like that. I might, I might go bananas. So I think that that's the, I think that's the difficulty. It's BGT put together tremendously well. There's great sob stories with Anton Deck and so on, and, or uh, all that is is wonderful, but. I sort of feel like I've seen every single act before somehow.
0: You see, I think actually BGT was quite rejuvenated by going after The Voice. So I watched The Voice, all of it, forever, carried on and on and on with a thousand sub-stories. I mean, this great thing that the, you know, the BBC had sold The Voice on the idea that it wasn't about sub-stories was ludicrous. I've never seen so many sub-stories on screen about people I didn't care about because they hadn't even been established as characters at that point. Not and even the
1: check from Five?
0: Not even the chat. Well, this Definitely is, not the chat This is fire. the point about the whole format I don't understand is if nobody is interested in picking that person, they don't have to go off stage. They have to carry on to the end of their song. So we have to keep going with them, even though nobody is interested in them. Ridiculous. Anyway, what I found was turning over from The Voice to BGT, which I had grown bored of, you know, really had grown quite, quite bored with, um... BGT actually looked so much better in comparison in terms of humour. In fact, the judges have less ego on BGT than they do on The Voice, which is astonishing, I think. And David Williams is a great fit for Britain's Got Talent, and I just thought, in fact, BGT looked the fresher... Newer program in comparison with The Voice,
1: right? Well, there's another show new to our screens last week, which was uh, Mad Men, which came back to uh, Sky. Uh, well, I say came back; it was previously on BBC Four, now it's on Sky Atlantic. Um, but damn, plenty of media coverage, but not necessarily big viewers. In fact, only ninety-eight thousand for its first outing.
2: Well, hold on a sec. I mean, Mad Men is not a sort of never been high-rating show. It's always been about a particular sort of demographic or a particular sensibility, uh, and inevitably, the transfer to Sky Atlantic will mean some of the available audience will will go. So So I think it was 98,000 viewers, and Sky said that I think the opener of season four got 97,000 in Sky Home, so it's sort of like for like. Or, yes, uh, I I know it's a long way down. I think it was 300,000 plus, I think, was when it was on. BBC Four, so I mean it's a long way down but these are all sort of you know smallish numbers, a lot of people catch up on PVR and on DVD or just simply what wonder what on earth the whole phenomenon is about I think what is true though is that we just saw the most extraordinary slew of broadsheet coverage in the run up to the arrival of Mad Men and I think that uh, uh, it's a great show and I love it but I mean if I read, have to read another feature on it or another feature tell, or a piece telling me how good looking John Hamm is I might just explode Vicky what did you make of the new series?
0: Well I think there is a feature literally there's been one feature per viewer written basically in the run up <laughs> to Mountain Man but I do think I do think um, it is a shame it's not on BBC4 this time around because I think BBC Four has so grown its audience for imported drama, and I know it's done that you know, largely off the back of, sort of Scandinavian drama, drama and so on, but it feels like Mad Men, this would have been Mad Men's year on BBC Four because of that, and it did feel a shame that it had gone to Sky Atlantic, given, given that situation.
1: Also new to the box this week uh, was Just a Minute, which went from Radio 4 to uh, BBC Two to mark its uh, all-important 45th anniversary. Uh, Vicky, uh, how much did the visuals add to uh, what is surely strictly uh, an audio format?
0: Yeah, they didn't add anything. I mean, I think actually they detracted from it. Um, uh, to me, uh, seeing people buzz in with their sort of deviation, hesitation, whatever, because you can see the person who's doing it, and so you can sort of preempt what's going to happen. I think it slightly takes away from what is a brilliant radio format, and I adore on radio but actually I, I was watching it at home and I was watching it in the living room and my husband was cooking dinner in the kitchen so he could hear it and not see it and I think he enjoyed it more than I did <laughs> <laughs>
1: and did you enjoy the meal more than he did?
0: <laughs> of course, he is a marvellous cook. Of
1: course, yeah. Dan, what do you think? I mean, I didn't like it when it was on ITV in the 90s uh, for, for those same reasons. I think they might have been wearing the same shirts. Uh, Paul Moore might have the same well, shirt yeah, on. ITV the in the work. 90s? It was a Carlton production man, my, back my, in the day. I
2: didn't know, I, I didn't know that. I, I, I just don't see the point, really. Uh, mm. It's a wonderfully sort of durable Radio 4 format, and I don't really see the point. I mean, what next? Are we going to have The Archers on BBC Two? I mean, it just oh, well, seems... Talk. <laughs> it 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 just seems completely it just seems completely unnecessary in that regard. And and again, I mean, is the BBC just running a, a touch short on ideas?
0: Well, I think it was meant to be a celebration. But actually, when we sort of we ran a blog this week on the TV site saying this, um, Mark Lawson wrote a really good piece about it. Lots of the commenters were saying, "Oh, I loved it! I loved it because I've listened to it for years and I've always wondered what it really looks like, and it was so nice to see it." And I didn't feel that at all. But it was interesting how many people did think that
1: elsewhere on the box the apprentice the second episode was this week it launched with its lowest audience for a, for a couple of years it feels a bit underwhelming this time round is that an impression you share vicky
0: yeah, I think it is, actually. I mean, last time they sort of... It's been going for a long time, The Apprentice, you know. It's had a lot of... So I think this is the eighth season. Eighth series. Yeah, you know, which is a long time for one of these reality shows to keep going at a good rate. And what
1: have got a show for it? A style file.
0: <laughs> which was already launched six yeah, years ago. Anyway. Indeed, a triumph. <laughs> so I think they've done well to keep it going so far. Um, and then last year they sort of rejuvenated it to a point with looking for an entrepreneur and letting someone who wasn't sort of a harridan win, really. Um, and uh, just a nice man win, um, but I sort of think that's not enough. And, and to me, there needs to be a big change quite soon, or a particularly brilliant sort of Stuart Bagg's character to really rejuvenate it.
2: Are
1: you missing bags, Dan?
2: I'm rather fond of bags. I once had lunch with him, and it was a rather enjoyable lunch too. People love abusing him on Twitter, but he's actually got a rather good sense of humour. I, I think one of the other things that's interesting, though, is that how how old some of these formats are. And one of the things that's come up, uh, I've picked up talking to people in and around the sort of BBC DG race, uh, 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 without naming any names, is a sort of a feeling at the BBC that we've got these sort of long these, these these long in the tooth or you know well established formats. You know, strictly the Apprentice. Um, obviously with the voices new but that's the sort of the exception uh these sort of well-established formats and can they keep going and can the be rely on them for a long period of time are they going to last 20 30 years or is it time to start looking for something new and it's sort of quite an, and it's quite an interesting thought because we saw this sort of the, the arrival of these great formats in the latter part of the 90s and into the early part of this decade and i think we've sort of seen Progressively less big blockbuster hits come through in the last two or three years, partly because the airtime's crowded out by the by, by the war horses still sort of dominating the screen. So I, I, it's an interesting thing to throw out there. I, I, I know. I just wonder.
1: And you mentioned long in the tooth formats, and just finally on TV this week, it's the end of Total
2: Wipeout from BBC One. Well, this is I think it's terrible news. I love Total Wipeout, uh, and my son, it's a great thing to watch with the kids. My son's ten. I adore watching it, and I can watch somebody fall headfirst into water off off a spring-loaded red Bull, every time and it'll make me laugh every time
1: and on that load of balls we shall end it there you can leave your feedback on anything and indeed everything you've heard on the Media Talk blog or our Facebook wall I'm John Plunkett and Media Talk was produced by the Sony Award nominated Jason Phipps I'll be back next week when we'll try to avoid mentioning either Britain's Got Talent or The Voice just don't bank on it thanks for listening Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month, no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details.
0: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.